Ever dreamt of quitting your job, selling your possessions, and traveling the world? We did, and now we're making it a reality and a podcast. Welcome to Live Let Rome, a travel podcast. I'm Christy. And this is Eric. Join us on our travel adventures as we look to educate and inspire you to travel more and get the most out of each travel experience. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Madrid Local Time. It's 8.56 a.m. Please remain seated until the captain parts the aircraft safely at the gate. Welcome to episode four of Live Let Rome. We are currently in Madrid, Spain. We made it. We finally made it. I can't believe it. (laughs) After three and a half months of preparation, we did it. Uh, Before we jump into this episode, Christy's going to give a little bit of structure on our first on-the-road episode, how this works, and then we'll jump into all the cool stuff. So what we want to do is make sure we share our best of experience, but give you a little framework behind that. So I'm going to start off by telling you what city and country we're in, where that is on a map, some quick facts about the population, maybe something about the city itself. And then we're going to jump into a little bit about our experience and knowledge, what we came into the city knowing. We're going to talk to you about where we stayed and for how long, how to get around, And then we'll dig into the standout moments, and that's when we'll wrap it up after that. So getting started, we're in Madrid, Spain, as mentioned, and Madrid is located in the center of Spain. has a population of 3.4 million in the metropolitan area, which is, uh, we looked up the size of the state of Connecticut and or Los Angeles. So it's large, uh, but it doesn't feel like that, actually. Mm -hmm. Just quick facts on Spain in the European Union. It's the second largest city in the European Union, just behind Paris, France, which also I did not know. (laughs) And this is, uh, you know, it's great to be back here in Madrid. It's my fourth time, about 20 years when I first came to Madrid. It feels the same. It feels great to be here. The last time we were here, Christy and I were on a 24-hour layover between Montenegro and Amsterdam. And when we were here, we remember promising each other we'd be back. And so you we also made it. promised me churros that time, and I didn't get it, <laughs> but did. at least I did this time. Yeah, well, the churros were plentiful. <laughs> <laughs> Madrid, I think, is a great, inexpensive gateway to Europe. There's several flights from New York City and other major cities on the U.S., It's an easy gateway from Madrid. There's flights all over Europe, so it's easy to get to and get around. And I consider it the crossroads of Spain, basically four to five hours from almost anywhere in Spain. Whether you're going to Andalusia in the south or Bilbao in the north, you can really get around quickly. And again, it's a big city, but very intimate feel, very walkable and accessible. Eric, you mentioned you were here 20 years ago. I was here 28 years Whoa, ago. Oh, competition. Woo-hoo. You're still <laughs> older than me, though. Anyway, <laughs> so I did mention in episode one that this was the first trip I took internationally, and it definitely set me on my path of inspiration. And it's really nice to be able to start off our journey here again. It's a whole different world. So I did come in with some information in my first trip. I kind of did all the typical things that what most people probably think about Spain. Flamenco dancing, bullfights. Toledo. Toledo, the Prado (laughs) Museums. That was all part of my first visit. And some of these things were part of my second visit, but it was nice to kind of dig in a little bit deeper. And I remember my first visit, it was really important to be connected with the lineage. I come from a Puerto Rican background, but that starts from somewhere, and then that is from Spain. 
We've been here now for about six nights, and we're staying in the Lapetis historic section, which is a real immigrant kind of bohemian section of the city, which I really like. Okay. I love you, darling. It's lava pies, which translates to wash the feet, basically. (laughs) So I love my husband so much, and he tries so hard. (laughs) Speak Spanish. But we we work together to get some of the accents, although I'm not fully (laughs) versed. It actually entertains me. I love saying things incorrectly. But it's a very walkable city. I like it. You know, there's public transit here. There's subways. There's buses, light rails, scooters, everything. We've been walking around primarily, though, I'd say for the most part. Yeah, before we want to dig into how we get around, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the area we're in. And Lava Pies, I know you did mention it's an immigrant community. Very artsy. I would say it's very comparable to early Lower East Side Greenwich Village. Not Greenwich Village now. It's not totally whitewashed over. But right now, it still has a very much a flavor, very artsy community. And that's something that I really didn't expect and I didn't get to see the first time I was here. So it's a really different facet of the city that was really interesting to engage in. Yeah, it was great to be in kind of the off-the-shoot neighborhoods and not the standard thoroughfares and things like that. Cool. So tell them, how did we get around, Eric? We walked primarily a lot. Our feet are sore. We walked miles, uh, which is a great way to get to know the city and get to know the area. We did take the metro a few times and got lost a couple times in the metro, which wasn't too bad. But that's our primary way. There's buses, there's light rails, there's scooters, all types of transit. It's a very accessible city and very easy to navigate once you figure out the color coding on the metro. Which (laughs) I think, I mean, like most big cities... If you come into it with a little knowledge on how to use a public system, I think the thing that we joked about that was working against us was no sleep and jet lag made for no fun and try to commuting to our Airbnb. Because usually I'm pretty on point with that. But, you know, I was off my game this time around. After that, I've been able to acclimate really well. And it makes more logical sense and it makes it relatively easy to see a lot of these sites just from the metro alone. So there's a lot of different avenues of way you can get from point A to B. Yeah, and it isn't one of those cities where I think you get turned around. It's pretty logically set up, I would say. It's not too squiggly streets and things of that nature. Are you kidding me? There's like diagonal lines everywhere. <laughs> not as bad as others. You well, see. you're going to have to use to read a map. So that's a good tip. It's something that I do when I go into every major city. If you connect somewhere and get an offline map of the city you're in, it's easier to navigate. And once you get your landmarks of this is the stop we're close to and this is the area, you can set your grounding and it's good to go from there. Yep. So we're going to talk about some standout moments about our trip to Madrid. And first, I'm going to kick off with the weird or interesting moment. And that was the minute we landed. So we landed in Madrid about, I want to say, like nine o'clock in the morning. We looked outside. Eric said it looked like Mars, he said. It was red. It was like this red haze. I was wiping my eyes because of the jet lag. I was like, am I in? Is this an illusion? Am I seeing something? Chrissy, it looks red. Yeah, I just thought, oh, I I thought it was supposed to be mild weather, but I guess it's cloudy. So then we making our way. Now, mind you not, we are jet lagged, get no sleep. So I thought it was me half the time. We had stopped out at one of the stops because we got a little turned around because I needed a snack. 
and we sat down and we noticed it was hard to breathe. Everything was covered. It was really dirty looking. And I was like, oh my God, I don't remember Madrid being this like kind of filthy. Yeah, it was like in the cars, the windshield, literally people were writing like help, like on the dust on the windscreens of the cars. So something was wrong. And then we looked it up. We're like, what is this? Yeah. So then the benefits of COVID comes in handy. So, you know, we kept our mask on. People are wearing their mask. I was like, oh, okay, good. Everybody has their mask on. I can breathe better. Finally get to our destination. And I Google, why is Madrid so dusty? And turns out I got the information. There is such a thing as a dust storm from that coming in from the Sahara. And we happen to be there at its basically peak moment as it was happening right there. I guess these winds sometimes blow over the Sahara Desert and blow it into the Mediterranean. So I did see it on news. It was affecting the Canary Islands and most of the Mediterranean. But I was thinking in my head, wow, it kind of reminded me of Cairo. So I guess I wasn't that far off. Yeah. And the dust actually went up as far as Germany. I had friends posting cars covered in dust even as far as Germany. So unique. Again, we wore the mask. We got through it and it washed away. Yeah. Thanks to Sela. She gave me the the Spanish (laughs) word. They call it Kalima, which I didn't know. Although I can only think of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. But I think that's a total different word. Kalima. So we're going to turn it over to Eric, and he's going to talk to you about his favorite thing that stood out. And, of course, that would be the food. Yeah, yeah. So Spain loves Spanish food. It's very unique, and it's its own personality, which is Mm -hmm. great right away. That personality starts with yamon, ham. It's everywhere here, hanging in shop windows and restaurants and grocery stores and department stores. You can buy a paper cone stuffed with ham, essentially, and get it to go. You can, everything's flavored (laughs) ham. The chips are flavored with ham. Yeah, and so, um, and I love it too. There's, uh, we got the Serrano Reserva you get at the grocery store. And you get that and you can cook eggs with it. You can do omelets, all of this stuff. And that's exactly what we did. But the real special one is the pata negra, which is from the pig with the black foot that eats only acorns and is natural uh, habitat. And it's absolutely delicious. Really kind of hard to find in New York City or other places. There are a few places to get, but it's absolutely delicious. So ham tops the list and we had it every chance we could get. So I want to talk about our arrival. We were hungry. Our first restaurant experience, I was a little cerveceria right by our Airbnb. We're waiting for check-in and we just stumbled in this place, ordered a beer. This fresh pie came out on the counter and I was, I pointed to it. I said, give me a slice of that, whatever it is, let's try it. And looked at the menu later. It was a Galician pie, which is essentially a tomato pie with a flaky crust stuffed with little meat bits of chorizo and again more ham and and i i liked it uh, christy what did you think of the Galician pie not my favorite <laughs> not my favorite very musty very earthy which does not top my list one bite and i was done yeah i i finished it i i liked it i thought it was it was just something i've never had before it was unique and i liked it you know we're probably going to order it tomorrow again you have to be in the mood for it or kind of want something a little different or exotic but gave it a try. Next night, we went out for some tapas and we stumbled in this place that was a cideria bar that basically specialized in cider, their own home-brewed cider, which was mm-hmm. kind of cool. And I learned that's a thing here, that there's these cideria restaurants. 
And we split uh, just a couple dishes. We had the patatas bravas with pimenton sauce, little pepper sauce on top, and fried potatoes, which potatoes are evident on almost all dishes. They come mm-hmm. with everything. And then we had, I think a standout was this polio de ajillo, chicken with garlic sauce, mm-hmm. again, on French fries uh, with this real crusty bread, natural cider that they brew there in-house, which was delicious yeah it was really good chicken it was like a stewed chicken almost and a garlic sauce so it wasn't just like a flash fry yeah so that was really really good and when i think about traveling in spain especially you you start with great ingredients prepared simple and you're going to get some great dishes last but not least i'd like to just cover the groceries here i went to the grocery store about three times we cooked here a number of times again bought the ham and used that in almost every preparation But I was just blown away on the value of what you get for what you pay for. You know, you get a couple of hams, you get bread, you get yogurt, you get milk, you get coffee, you get all these different things. And it was around 20 euros. It seemed about 30 or 40 percent less than other major U.S. cities. So I was impressed with that. And then the quality was just amazing. Fresh bread every morning. Everything tasted great. So that was that was a, a highlight for me was actually the grocery store. I'm going to be there tomorrow picking out some stuff. Yeah. So that's something that we like to do. Of of course, when you're in the area, just acclimate to your immediate surroundings. See where your local grocery store is. I think you can learn a lot about an area and save money there as well. And when we're talking about the groceries, I did see we were watching the news here. There are some supply chain issues similar to what's happening in the States. And it's on a lot of news. But the cost itself is just comparably much less, I would say, because we're used to uh, probably a New York City, Atlanta Atlanta, price, where the price was definitely on the higher level. Here, it was affordable. The more locally it is, the cheaper it is, the less transportation. That's where you're going to get your cost savings on more regional ingredients. Yeah, so a lot of locally produced items really helps, but really, really good. And I guess I'll finish with just one last standout is Christy was having a rice and bean kind of attack. She was craving that. And we looked up a Cuban restaurant, Sunda, what is it, Sunda Cuba? Oh, so, so he's talking about what we looked at is... I like my tapas, but sometimes I just want a good comfort meal. And for me, that comfort meal is usually a Caribbean food. And we're able to stumble upon a nice Cuban restaurant, which a lot of that Cuban Dominican has the same flavors and taste. And it was Al Son de Cuba. Ah, delicious. And delicious. We got a nice um, chicken fricassee I got, like a stewed chicken. And I believe you got a ropa vieja. vieja. And it definitely hit the spot. Rice and beans, comfort and stomach. Yeah, dishes for 12 euro, I think, that were just so satisfying and fulfilling, and it was just great. In fact, I think we're going back tomorrow for the Menu del Dia. Oh, I'm surprised you didn't talk about Menu del Dia. Oh, Menu del Dia. Well, Menu del Dia is essentially in Spain, Monday through Friday, from usually from 11.30 till about 3 p.m. You can go in and ask for the Menu del Dia, which includes bread, your wine, an appetizer, a main dish a dessert and coffee for anywhere between 11 euro and 15 euro. And essentially you just, you go and eat, you know, for lunch and that's your main meal of the day. That's what we do. And I think we're doing that tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, that's a nice, wonderful, a nice tip. Uh, Even this restaurant, the Cuban restaurant will have its own version or every restaurant will have menu del dia version and it's an affordable, but a full Meal price. Yeah, so what we like to do, we usually have typically breakfast at, at the uh, Airbnb. We'll cook our own breakfast, have a menu del dia, 
and just maybe finish with the light tapas at night. But wonderful food, love Spanish food. <laughs> Got more to come. Próxima estación, Goya. Correspondencia con Línea 2. Now it's time to talk about my favorite part, the arts and culture part. And for us, what we like to do is be able, when you go to any city, is to search what's free to do. In Europe, they have more availability, I believe, of free times. I believe when I went to London, all the museums were free. Uh, which something we should do in the States and we don't. But we found on our discovery here that they did have several designated times for major museums to be free. And we learned that the Prado Museum was free in the last two hours of it being open. So that was 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And the Prado, of course, is one of the major museums. So when you designate your free time when you want to go, pick a day that's an off day. So what was great about the free time, it wasn't just once a month. It was Monday through Friday, the last two hours, 6 to 8 p.m. was the free museum time. A couple things to learn about going to free is when it starts at six o'clock, sometimes you can buy the tickets in advance for free or you have to show up. Look at their site to see what whichever is possible. Give yourself a little bit more time on the waiting on the line, especially at a popular museum. We got there a little bit later. The line was long, but we were able to get in. They did sell, by the time we got in, all their free tickets because sometimes they designate a specific amount. But after that, they sell them at 50% off. So that's still a great savings to get into the museum, to get half off just by going a little later at night. Yeah, and it was it was great. So we got in line and walked in. And, you know, the museum, there's a lot to see. And, and, and clearly the time goes fast. You have two hours, but I think it's enough. You know, I, I think one and a half, two hours is about how much I can stand in a museum. I love it. But, you know, your feet get tired, you're walking around. You want to make sure you can pay attention to each painting you're looking at, study it. It was a perfect evening, actually. Oh, I definitely can spend more time there. But what's good is that with these free opportunities, it gives you, if you're there for an extended amount of time, that you can go back several times to enjoy and take your moments with the art. And when you're going at an off time, you're usually going to get less people there, which gives you opportunity. And something that I recalled that I kind of didn't recall the first time I went there was how intimate Prado is. And I think that's probably from where I was in my experience since the Prado was one of the first major world-renowned museums I had gone to. And since then, I've been to all over the world. Prado seemed more intimate. The ceilings, you were closer to the artwork. It wasn't so as expansive. And that's something that I just didn't recall the first time, but I felt like, oh, it was really nice to have those moments. Yeah. And it does seem laid back and not stuffy, other than they don't allow you to take pictures, photographs of the of the paintings, things like that. Even without the flash, they're, they're like no photographs. But besides that, you know, you're walking around enjoying it. It was not crowded, too. I think going later at night, even though it's the free night, it didn't seem, we weren't bumping into people. You had space and it was fantastic. Yeah. And my favorite Goya. So something that I really loved is not only getting to go to this museum, but getting to go with Eric and experience with him because we both experienced this museum 
without each other, but it's nice to be able to share in that experience. And of course, I took him to go see the black paintings because I had to see my Goya paintings in person. And I got busted. I was trying to take a photo and the guy caught me. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Eric does his little shy smile and says, oh, I don't know. (laughs) But uh, what I really like, yeah, seeing it with you is great because on the when we went to the Bosch, you were showing me the panels. I didn't even realize that on the back of the paintings that they actually move and then they close. And so, you know, you study the back of the painting just as much as the front. But you can stare at these paintings for a good 15, 20 minutes. No problem. There's so much detail. It was, it was fantastic. And that's something that I look for in experience, the detail. So when I talk about why I love to go to museums, as an artist, I love to be able to be one-on-one, to have that intimacy with, where you can see the texture, you can see where the gesso is, where the layers of paint are in each painting. And sometimes you can't see it. Somebody who's so smooth and so detailed, such as Hieronymus Bosch, it's sickening. Like it almost, you can compare it to print work now. But also the three-dimensional aspect is that he loved to do triptychs. So you had to walk around the piece and you were seeing it from different angles. And part of that angle is how you viewed that painting. Yeah. And the other thing, I think when you're looking at paintings, went to another museum today, saw a lot of Salvador Dali. You start to see the connections through these famous painters and how they inspired one another, like Bosch to Dali, even though it was like 400 years later. You could see that there was definite inspiration from those two painters. Oh, here's my inspiration idea. So I said to him, like, now in art, the hot new thing is the immersive exhibits. They have Van Gogh and they projected everywhere. And I just thought, wouldn't it be really cool if they did that with the black paintings of Goya? Because if you're not familiar with Goya's black paintings, they're really dark, but they were actually painted on the walls of his house. So it wasn't on a canvas. They were painted on the walls. And then you learn the history is that they were transferred meticulously. They were cut out of the walls and then expertly retouched and transferred. So the idea of that being projected in a representation of his house, that excites me. That is just like, wow, I need that in my life. I think in Zaragoza too, we're going to go to the Goya Museum there. So we'll have to learn and see if they have any information about that. I can't get enough of Goya. I love him. Yeah, he's great. Um, Another place that we went to, he mentioned uh, we did the Reina Sofia and there was a lot of Picasso and Dali there. The most famous one would be Gonica, I believe. I want to say Juanica, but that's the Puerto Rican in me <laughs> that wants to say Juanica. <laughs> the large, but it's black and white, huge Picasso. It's Gonica. Yeah. yeah. So it's really great. And that was surprising to see so much density of these artists of Dali and Picasso and Greece. And they had some great Calder and tons of Miro. So it was just a decadent delight just seeing all these artworks in their full glory. Yeah. And the Renee Sophia, I think I actually enjoyed it more than the Prado because I've been to the Prado before. This was my first time to this museum and Mm -hmm. it was, I mean, gigantic. I mean, it reminded me of the Tate Modern a little bit. It had, you know, mostly modern, modern art, but it Mm -hmm. also had current art as well. It was just crazy big you know yeah it had a super modern side which had a lot of the classic surrealist pieces and then its older side carried a lot of contemporary artists these are artists that are still working and living today and we got to see a couple different exhibits it was really nice to be immersed and 
we also did get in free there. They had a free time, last two hours of their thing. You go in, you get a free ticket, met two people on the line even. Yeah, yeah. We met some people from Italy and from Australia. If you're listening, great to see you, mates. (laughs) But it was fun. And they also have a nice courtyard. And Sophia, if you're there on a nice day today, it was uh, around 55, 60 degrees. Went out there and they had a Miro and a sculpture. What was the sculpture they had? Calder. So Alexander Calder mobile so it was a it was a metal sculpture that had some slight movement the traditional ones the thumbs up to both museums but renee sophia on a sunday for free can't go wrong i'd like to cover a little bit about the nature and the culture which are around the parks which is a big deal here in spain you know we mentioned earlier that it's 3.6 million in the population but it doesn't feel like 3.6 million it doesn't feel like a big city because of the parks and the nature that they have here So there's tons of green spaces here within this amazing city. So the first park that we went to was on our first full day, which was in the Palace Gardens of Madrid, the Campo de Moro. Did I say that right? Yes, close, close. (laughs) And we just stumbled on this. We actually had no plan. I know we got churros in the morning. And then after churros, we're like, let's just wander. And I love that in a large city and just taking off without a map. And we stumbled into this palace gardens. But before we got to the gardens, we looked up and we saw these green flashes And they were these chirping birds, and we just couldn't keep our eyes off them. What was cool is they flew up into these large nests that were the size of a small car. We just were fixated on these bird condos. What we like to do in green spaces, I literally just look on Google Maps and I go towards green, and that's how I usually find. I did it in the States as well. And we were mentioning that we we saw these green birds, and we're like, what is there a green bird here? And if you looked at our uh, social media post, we found out that there is a feral colony of monk parakeets that have now evaded, I think, a lot of Spain and the Iberian Peninsula. And they're all different parts of North America, too, as well. And they create these massive nests. Yeah, and they make them in, in the trees. I was looking up the types of trees. They're called pillow pines, and they have this really soft needles. And again, they assemble these, we were calling parrot condos. But they were very fun to watch, very chirpy. And I guess they actually can talk. If you ever have one, they can be pets, I guess. But it was really cool watching these birds. And the other bird that we saw in this first park was the European magpie bird. And they're all over. They're kind of the pigeon. I would call them the pigeon of Madrid, but they're, they're really cool. They have the long tail, about the same size as their body. They're black, they're white, and they have a blue section on their wings. And they're just fun to watch and fly around. They're plentiful like the pigeon, but they do have pigeons. I would say it's probably similar to like a crow or a raven, that kind of structure. But yeah, they were like when it was the crows, the pigeons were everywhere, and then you get these weird parakeets. So after that, we just kind of wandered around the Campo de Moro, which is behind the large palace. We got situated in there, just sat down. and just a great place to kind of ease your mind a little bit after we were still a little bit jet lagged. Then we made our way out, and I think we made a secret exit. We weren't supposed to exit through. The security guard was kind of looking at us, but we actually exited through the entrance. So after that, the next day, we visited one of the main parks. I would say that's they're comparable to their central park of New York in Madrid. It's called Retrio. Oh. Parca, main park at the Retrio. How do you say it? Retiro. 
Retiro. The retiro part. Like retired. That's what it is. Yeah. Like retirement. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to retire right in the park. Uh, And we did. I think we took a little nap in there on a bench. But this park is absolutely must-see. If you're coming to Madrid and you don't visit Retiro Retrio Park. It's just say it the way you want to say you, it. You're missing out. It's just fascinating. There's these mazes here. They have uh, old structures, these glass houses. They have this fantastic sculptures, the fallen angel statues, a lot of the Gothic type of statues around. And of course, our birds chirping around everywhere you turn. Yeah, the park is a very structured park space. And when I say structured, it's very like angles and you have designated place, and the, which is different than some parks that are more natural elements. It is still massively gorgeous. So you have these beautiful pathways, you have these little lake spots where they have ducks and koi and all different fishes. But it was just a great wide open green space you can travel through there and it was just miles and miles that felt like of or kilometers and kilometers for instance, <laughs> <laughs> felt meters a space and, and then you would stop at these center points there may be a fountain or uh, a place to eat or a little playground so it was just nice little like coves of quiet space you can spend you know a half day at this park and and it's just a great place to spend the day and the one tree there that I, I really like was called the Montezuma Cypress. And it's these really tall trees that just have this bunch of like clumpy, clumpy leaves at the top. It looks really unique. Montezuma Cypress. What did you keep saying that you were every oh. time we're walking? Oh, I feel like I said, I feel like I'm walking in inside an oil painting. You know, it's like the, <laughs> it just feels, walking around Madrid, you just feel feel like you're somewhere like in an artistic place you yeah know? Madrid it feels, it's dripping with culture and, and it's history color and texture and it's a it's a very we're staying in the more medieval part so less some of those modern elements but oh yeah, yeah outstanding but yeah visit the parks come to Madrid you'll love it Wrapping it up, what have we learned today? Nature can bring unexpected surprises from dust storms, bird condos, and fantastic green spaces. The streets of Madrid are covered in yaman, beautiful ham, Iberico ham, so delicious. Seek offbeat neighborhoods for more flavor and cost savings. We enjoyed Lava Pies neighborhood. Search free things to do in regards to museums and parks. These are places you might want to see anyway. Why not get a great savings? And I also would recommend learn the public transport. It's an easy way to get around to acclimate to a city and try to do it in advance because jet lag is not your friend. Our next city coming up is going to be Segovia, Spain. Remember, our goal is to educate and inspire you to take your next adventure near or far. So what are you waiting for? Thank you for tuning in to Live Let Rome. Visit our website for more to see and read at liveletrome.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Simply search Live Let Rome. Our podcast is free wherever you listen. Be sure to subscribe. To support Live Let Rome, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Feel free to drop us an email at liveletrome at gmail.com and include your show questions, recommendations, or to share your travel adventures, and we may feature you on an upcoming episode. So until next time, get out and roam.